Man, good morning. Can you just, uh, in the back, can you just say it louder? I just don't know if you're back there. Yeah, thank you. Anthony, I appreciate that, brother. Uh, he's been yelling since he got here. I love it. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 21. If you've got your Bible, you can go there. If you don't have your Bible or can't see your Bible, it'll be back here on the TV screen for you. Um, I don't like it light because if you're asleep, I can see you. So it's protection for me and you. It uh, doesn't freak me out, and you don't get caught. So, um, you know, it works out for both of us. So we're just going to keep it kind of dark, I guess. But um, Matthew 21 is where we're going to be this morning. And I'm so excited about this next set of messages that's coming this time of year as we approach Good Friday. Um, you, yes, thank you, one person. You can be excited about that. Um, Good Friday is kind of amazing. Uh, we go downtown middle of the city you run out the amphitheater and um, just start worshiping Jesus and um, man it's amazing just to see what God does like people line up on the bridge and watch and people are behind the lake and watch and some people come in and watch and it's amazing and it's just an opportunity to take church to people that are never going to come to church and um, I love what God does through that every year. So I'm excited about Good Friday. Uh, if you've not made plans to be there, and Good Friday's on any calendar. You can Google when is Good Friday, and uh, we've already got it on Google. So you can look on Google, and it'll tell you when Good Friday is. Thank you for whoever did that. And uh, it starts at 7 o'clock. There's cards somewhere. You can get some of those. And uh, amazingly, we need help. So um, every person that is sitting here today, uh, we have something for you to do. At Good Friday, so uh, we need you, and it's going to be amazing, and uh, just looking forward to what God's going to do. Start praying about that, by the way. Um, there's people that are going to be there that are going to not know Jesus, and um, man, what an amazing time as we're talking about Jesus dying for the world, uh, for some people to die to self and live towards him. Um, so start praying about that. But coming up towards Good Friday, we always start talking about um, Jesus' kind of final uh, week on planet Earth before he was crucified, and uh, we're going to start that this week, and I'm so excited about that. We're going to start in Matthew 21 with a message that, I'll be honest, for the past, I don't know, we're going on five years now, so four years, um, I've been kind of intimidated about. Um, every time I read this, I'm like, mm, I don't know. Uh, there's just some scripture in the Bible you look at, and you're like, I don't know if I can preach that. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there. I just... I'm going to feel more comfortable somewhere else, and I've been intimidated by this scripture, and um, anyway, as I was coming up towards this morning, and praying about what um, God would have us to talk about. This is the scripture that he placed in my heart, so this morning we're going to talk about the triumphal entry, and it says Jesus kind of is coming into Jerusalem for this last week, the week they call the Passion Week, and Matthew starts talking about that in chapter 21. If you don't know much about Matthew, uh, Matthew was a disciple. He was a follower of Jesus. He used to be a tax collector, and he, you know, Jesus came and he changed his life and he changed his name. And anyway, he, he decided to write down the stories of Jesus's life, this biography of Jesus's life, and that's what we get. We get like a snapshot because we have what 28 chapters. I don't know if you can fit your whole life into 28 chapters, but you probably couldn't get mine. Uh, it, uh, it'd be boring if you read it, but it would take up more pages than that. Um, so it's just kind of a snapshot of, of some things Jesus did. But what I love about it is Matthew was an eyewitness to what Jesus did. This is not some book written by somebody a couple hundred years after Jesus kind of left the planet. This is 
a book written by a man who was there when Jesus was on the planet, and he saw these things, and, and I just love that this morning, that we can have uh, trust in these pages because this man actually saw the things on the pages, and you could be like, well, you know, they could have got together and schemed and, like, decided that Jesus was going to die, and they were going to pretend to be the Messiah, and then we were going to write these books, but, like, what would Matthew gain from them? What would he gain from that? Everybody, anybody ever seen a picture of Matthew? You know what he looked like? You know about his hobbies? We don't have Matthew Celebration Day, like, I don't think, anyway. I don't celebrate Matthew Day, whatever that is. If your name's Matthew, sorry. Um, we don't do that. Matthew wouldn't gain anything out of this. Actually, Matthew ended up losing his life for this. And if you don't believe in something, <laughs> you're not probably going to be willing to die for it. So we have an eyewitness account of a man who was there when Jesus walked on the planet, and that's what we're reading this morning. And this is his story about how Jesus came into uh, Jerusalem on Passion Week. And it said, when they, they being Jesus and the disciples and whoever else happened to be around approached Jerusalem. They were getting rid close to Jerusalem, and they came to a place named Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. Now, Bethpage is a little village kind of on the hill on the side of the Mount of Olives. It's, uh, I think, less, little, maybe a little more than one mile away from Jerusalem. You can see Jerusalem from the city, and they're coming from Jericho, a place where they just kind of met with Zacchaeus and changed his whole life, and Jesus has done some amazing other things on the road, and they're coming into Jerusalem, and they're coming into Jerusalem by way of the city, Bethpage, on the Mount of Olives. You may look at that, and you're like, well, that's not really that interesting. Well, it is to me, because at this point in the book, 21 chapters in, Jesus has talked several times about how he was going to be killed and crushed for the sins of the world. Jesus knew he came for a reason and a purpose. He didn't get created in Bethlehem. He stepped out of heaven into Bethlehem, and he lived 33 and a half years, a perfect sinless life. And he knew at the end of that life, he was going to take on the sins of the world on his perfect self, and he was going to give out freely his perfection to those who had put his trust or put their trust in him. Amazing. And Jesus here uh, was not running away from the cross. He wasn't trying to get out of crucifixion or out of the cross. He was actually running towards the cross. He knew it was time. He knew he had about a week left. And he starts heading towards Jerusalem. And he takes this route from Bethpage at the Mount of Olives. And it says, Jesus then sent two disciples. It doesn't matter who they are uh, because it doesn't tell us who they are. Right? But he sent two of the twelve And he said, he told them, go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. So it's female donkey and a boy baby donkey. And it says, untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them and immediately he will send them. This is what Jesus says to these disciples. They're coming through Bethpage. They've been walking through Bethpage. They've been walking through all this time. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you watch much about Jesus, he's not always riding around on a donkey, right? He's not too good to walk. He actually does a lot of walking. So there's a reason that he's picking up this donkey here at Beth Page, but it's kind of a weird situation, isn't it? Jesus looks at his two disciples. He's like, hey, go ahead of me into the city, and I want you to find a donkey and a baby donkey, and then I just want you to take them. Anybody? Like, that's, that's a little weird. Like, Jesus just told these people to steal a donkey. Right? Hey, just, it's no big deal. The Lord needs it. You know, just go in there and just, you know, just find a donkey and a baby. You just need two. Just untie them while nobody's looking. 
And if anybody sees it, then just, you know, oh, the Lord needs it. Sorry, I'm taking the donkey, you know. Is that not, like, that's just weird to me how that goes down. I look at the Bible sometimes, it's kind of humorous to me, because if we tried this at Walmart, it wouldn't go well, right? Like, just go to, try that later, go to Walmart, just pick out anything you want, just pick it up, take it out the door, and then if they say anything to you, be like, oh, it's fine, the Lord needs this toaster, right? Take it to church. Don't try that. They're going to tackle you, they're going to put you in the back of a car with really cool lights on it, and they're going to drive you somewhere, and you're going to be really safe uh, in that room by yourself. Um, you don't, you don't want to do that. Um, but this is what Jesus tells the disciples to do. And I look at that and I'm like, man, that's weird. Cause I don't really think Jesus is okay with stealing. Like I think there's something about that in the Bible. I've read it once or twice. <laughs> like it seems like that's weird to me, but this is the scene that's going down. And then Jesus just looks at him. He's like, if anybody says anything, just be like, the Lord needs them and, and, the, and they'll just send you. Now, that's kind of amazing to me because when you read this in all the other Gospels, this is exactly how this plays out. They walk in the city, they take the donkey, they start out, and then they're like, hey, you can't take that donkey, that's not yours. And um, they say, the Lord needs it, and they're like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> what a time to be alive, right? Like, Jerusalem, <laughs> this is amazing. Just take whatever you want. The Lord needs it. It's People are generous here in Beth Page. Like, that's amazing. Um, and they just take these donkeys and, and they start off. And, and Jesus knows, like, this is going to happen, like, word for word. And you're like, well, if Jesus knows this, he has to know what's coming, right? right, right. Jesus knows everything. Right. Isn't that, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, 33 years on this planet, he knew, like, everything was going to come the whole way down the pipeline. And, and he tells these people, go in the city and get this donkey. And it don't, doesn't it click somewhere in your brain that, like, he also knew just a week later he was going to be hung on a tree? He tells these guys to do it, and he must have known, like, in their hearts and their heads, they were like, we can't just go steal donkeys, Jesus. And he's like, just tell them the Lord needs it. And what's funny to me is these guys just do it. Can I just put a side note here? That's what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. It doesn't really have to make sense. Like, it doesn't really have to add up. Like, when he says it, we just do it because that's what following is, right? They didn't have this argument or this conversation. Jesus, I just don't know if you've read the Bible or not, but it says that, like, you can't really steal. Like, that's not something we're supposed to do. Like, I can't, I can't even want that donkey, really, in the way that I would take it or hurt my neighbor. Like, that's coveting. Like, I can't do that. So I don't know if you're okay with that, and I don't know why you'd be okay with that. Like, there's none of that that goes on. He's like, go get the donkey. And they're like, yes, boss, because that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. You just do what Jesus says to do. That's, that's following. And anything else is actually leading. You're trying to lead Jesus, right? Like, Jesus, we can't do that. Um, that that's, that's not me. That's not my personality. That's, not, that's, that's leading Jesus. This is following Jesus. Okay. Doesn't have to make sense, okay? And it says, this took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. It looks like a weird thing, but Jesus is always doing something even in the weird things. It says that this whole thing, this whole scene where Jesus is sending them to get a donkey was so it could set up what was happening in Zechariah 9, 9. And then he gives the, the verse, tell daughter Zion, this could be Jerusalem or Israel as a people, see your king is coming to you. Your king's coming, look, perceive it. And he's coming to you gentle, or other translations say humbly. And mounted on a donkey, so we got a donkey, and it says, even on a colt, what is that? It's a, a baby donkey. And then it just goes on to clarify the foal of a beast of burden. So what's the, what's the scripture say in Zechariah 9.9 in this prophecy that obviously is about the Messiah, Jerusalem, look, 
your king is coming. The king he's talking about here is, is this Messiah. Your Messiah is coming. And when your Messiah comes, he's going to ride in triumphantly on a donkey. But humbly, because it's going to be a baby donkey. So you can kind of get the scene going on here. And Jesus gets to this town. And Jesus is not against walking. Jesus has never been against walking. He spent the majority of the last three years walking. We don't see anywhere else even that he's riding a donkey. But the scripture says the Messiah is coming into the city and he's riding on a baby donkey. So Jesus is like, got to get a baby donkey. Beth Page sounds like a good place to get a baby donkey. There's going to be a donkey tied up beside its mom. And just go get it. Because the Lord needs it. That's what we wrote in Zechariah 9.9, and that's what's happening here today. We're fulfilling what God has said hundreds of years ago he was going to do. God is now about to do. The Zechariah 9.9, by the way, probably wasn't rolling around in their head every day. They didn't go outside the gates, and they're like, ah, looking for a king on a donkey. Baby donkey king, where are you? The people had probably forgot at this point in time the promise of God, but God had not forgotten the promise of God. Now, even hundreds of years, it doesn't make God forget what he said. Like, if God promises it, God's going to do it. And here we see all this is taking place. This weird story of go steal that donkey is taking place because God is a promise keeper. And when God keeps his promises, a lot of times it doesn't come in a way that's like, oh, here's, here's coming to step A and step B and step C and step C. It comes through weird stuff a lot of times because God likes to work miraculous things, not little video things that we can figure out. So he gives this scripture reference and he's like, hey, remember, guys, this is, this is what Zachariah said. Like, this is, this is God doing what God said God was going to do hundreds of years ago. And it says in 6, his disciples went and they did just as Jesus directed them. And if you read Mark, Luke, John, it just tells this story kind of in a little more detail where they actually have the conversation with the people they were stealing the donkey from. So you can read that later if you want to. And it says, they brought the donkey and the colt. So they brought them both. Here's the mama donkey and the baby donkey. And it says, they laid their robes on them, laid their robes across the donkeys, kind of making a saddle or like one of those little horse blankets for him to sit on because he wants to sit on a dirty donkey back, like not Jesus, right? He wouldn't have cared, but they cared. And it says that he sat on them. Now, we read this sometimes. We're like, okay, is Jesus sitting on, like, both donkeys? Like, how does that work? Is he, like, trick riding in, like Dixie Stampede, like, on standing on both donkeys or what's going on? Them, I think, is probably in reference to the clothes. Because it says clearly in the scripture, Jesus is coming in riding on a baby donkey, not on both donkeys. So when he says he sat on them, he's sitting on the robes. And it says, when they did this, a very large crowd spread their robes on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees, um, and they were spreading them on the road. So here's kind of what's happening. Jesus sits down on this baby donkey, and the crowds that have been following him, and then the crowds that have heard he's coming, and, you know, like there's some excitement around when Jesus is around. All these people start, like, massing up around Jesus on the road, and there's people behind Jesus, and there's people in front of Jesus, and there's this big Jesus parade kind of going down the, the hill as, as they descend into Jerusalem. And people are throwing their robes out into the road because they're like, man, Jesus, he's this, he's this Messiah, he's this king, he's too good even for his baby donkey to touch the ground. 
got to pave the way for Jesus, got to make the way for Jesus to ride triumphantly down into this city. And, and then they're like, oh, I don't have a robe. I already threw my robe. Let's get some branches. So they go cut down some branches. If you've ever been to an Easter play, those are palm branches. We don't really know. It doesn't say. It doesn't matter. But throw some branches down because we've got to make the way clean, straight for Jesus to come down into the city. So you can, you can see there's this celebration happening. There's this moment where it's like, man, this is amazing. We're finally seeing Jesus get like the praise on earth that, that he should get you know this is the only time like jesus gets the celebration that he deserves right like there's here's jesus he's riding in on this donkey he's coming down the hill into jerusalem like here's the capital city of israel and like that's that's where the king is going to reign from and here's jesus coming down triumphantly into the city and the people are just going nuts and they're like the king is here the king is here the king is here and they're just so overjoyed they're like you know i don't need this coat. i don't need this coat anymore they just take their coat off and throw it in the road I don't know if the people that are behind him are like going and picking up more coats and throwing them around. I don't know what's happening, but you can see like Jesus is riding down and people are just paving the road on, on both sides of him, making th- this entrance into the city. And it says the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed, they kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Now, if you've read the Bible ever, that's not Jesus' dad's name, right? You messed it up, guys. Like, hey, was there the son of Joseph? That sounds cool too, right? This is a clear reference to his Messiahship. These people are in this moment accepting Jesus as their Messiah. Isn't that amazing? You like look at that and you're like, they never did. Well, they did for a moment. They were paving the way for this Messiah. Here comes this king riding down a hill on this donkeys coming into the city, and they're like, man, the Messiah is here. Hosanna to the son of David. See, the, the Jewish people, they were looking for a Messiah. The Old Testament is littered with references to the Messiah, starting actually in Genesis 3. There was the fall, and then immediately after that, God starts putting in hope. He's like, hey, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, sin happened. I've got, I've got a, I've got a fix for that. Um, I, I know the snake, like he, he deceived you guys and he's going to mess with you like forever. Um, he, he is, but there's somebody coming that he's going to, the snake's going to, he's going to bruise his heel, but man, this guy's going to crush his head. He's going to deal the death blow. The, the snake is going to wound him, but he's going to kill the snake. And then from there on out, prophecy after prophecy, everybody that spoke in the Bible starts speaking about this guy that's coming. And then, and then David shows up, and, and David's like the successful king. He's the most successful king that, that, that ever reigned in Israel. And, and in his reign, there was like um, peace and prosperity. Like this, this was David. He was like this military powerhouse, and um, he followed God for the most part. Obviously a man, obviously flawed, but the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. And then they started talking about this Messiah as this new king, this king that was going to come in. He was going to set up an eternal kingdom, not one like David's who was temporary, but, but one that would last forever and then one that would um, be universal, not just in this little sliver of land over kind of by the Mediterranean, but this kingdom that would just reign forever everywhere. And that's what they were looking for. So when they were saying... Hosanna to the son of David. They were saying, here comes the king. He's going to kick out the Romans. He's going to throw them out of our city. He's going to set up this new kingdom. 
and we're coming back into prosperity, and we're coming back into peace, and we get to rule and reign with this king as like the head of the universe. This is going to be amazing. Why is that not something they would celebrate? So he comes riding in, and they're thinking, here it is. They're throwing coats in the way and branches in the way. And they're like, this is the Messiah we want. Here he is, finally, been waiting years and years and years and years. And the time has come. Here's the Messiah. So they start singing or shouting Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna means two things. It's like a two-part word, Hoshana, and it means save us. Or it's a word for praise or celebration. The first Hosanna, Hosanna is Hosanna to the son of David. Save us, son of David. These people are chanting that as Jesus is riding into the city. Save us now. Save us. You're here to save us. Come save us. Can you, like, could, you, could this picture be any better? <laughs> because we, we know what's coming, and this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Hosanna, save us, son of David. We need you to save us. And then they go on and they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna or praise or celebration in the highest heavens. Heavens celebrate the Messiah is here. He's come to save us is what they're saying. And the streets are just erupting with this Hosanna, 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 Hosanna. And it's this two-part praise and salvation prayer. Isn't that crazy? Crazy how God orchestrates this because in just a few days, like that is exactly what he's going to do. It's this image that Jesus sets up of this king riding in triumphantly to return home to their city, but there's a problem. Like, wouldn't it make sense, like, if the king was coming in, he's surrounded by chariots and an army, and he's got this white horse and sword? Like, that makes sense, and Jesus is going to do that one day. Look, read Revelation. Second time, that's how he's riding in. He's coming to save us, save us. And he is coming to set up an eternal kingdom that will be universal. He's coming to do that, and the second time, he's coming in all his kingship. But this time, like, there's just this weird part of this picture because everything is perfect, right? Like, we're coming down the hill. We're descending into the city. There's this parade of people. Here's Jesus, and people are celebrating, and they're praying, save us, save us, save us, save us, save us. But Jesus is riding in on a baby donkey. You ever got on, like, a little kid's bike? Because I have. I do weird stuff like that. Like, if there's a kid's bike, I'm going to get on it. But the problem is, like, my legs are, I know this is going to be hard to believe, but they're too long. Right? It's hard to believe we have the same issue because we're not Anthony Canada. Um, dude, you're like 12 foot tall. Um, but, like, you can't pedal that thing, right? Because <laughs> you're, like, hitting the handlebars. You just, it doesn't work. So what you end up doing is you're sitting there and you're, like, squatted over the bike and you're, like, walking along beside the bike, really, to move the bike. So really it's just a moving chair at that point in time. Like, it's not really a bike, and Jesus is coming in riding on a baby donkey. Like he would have had to hold his feet up off the ground like that to get down into the city. 
or walk along like kind of squatted over the donkey. Not really like a kingly entrance, right? It didn't bother the people, apparently. I don't know why nobody was like, why aren't you on the big donkey? You know, <laughs> the thought. Maybe she's cranky. I don't know. But, but here he is riding in on this baby donkey, asked to say, um, oh, yeah, I'm coming to save you. But I'm not coming the way that you think I'm coming to save you. See, Jesus in just a few days is going to do exactly what these people ask for. He's coming to save not only them, but to make a way that every person that ever lives or breathes would have a way to get to God. He's not coming in this moment to kick out the Romans, and he's not coming in this moment to, to, to set up prosperity and make the bank account look good and the dinner table look good. He's not coming to do that in this moment. He's coming to take care of a bigger issue. See, the reality of it is uh, we're all going in a hole one day. Maybe not. Maybe they'll do the little jar for you, but you're, you're going to die is the, the message. Um, and that's true for every person that, that's here. Aside from, like, God just coming back. Like, but at the end of the day, like, we all have an expiration date, and we're all going to leave this place one way or another. And it doesn't matter really who the king is or the emperor is or the president is or the, right? Because when you're in a hole in the ground, that doesn't really make a difference to you. We're all going to die and it doesn't matter how much money's in your bank account. It's going to happen. Like maybe at some point in time, science will get to a point where they can just keep you alive on a little box that'll breathe for you for... 200 years, but even then, like, your, your body's not going to be here forever. And there's no, like, money in the bank account that can, that can save that. Doesn't matter who your boss is. Doesn't matter if you get that promotion. At the end of the day, like, none of that stuff really matters because all that stuff is temporary stuff. And the problem is these people were looking for a savior that would come and fix their temporary problems. And Jesus wasn't interested in coming to fix temporary problems. He could see beyond the temporary because he is eternal. So he stepped into the picture not to fix broken homes and marriages and bank accounts and, and living situations and, 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 and your roommate's bad attitude. Like he didn't come to do all that stuff, although he can do all that stuff. He came first and foremost to do exactly what they said to save them now. And what's amazing to me about this story is that we can just jump forward a few days. The same people that are here crying, save us now, save us now, save us now. In a few days are going to be crying, kill him now, kill him now, kill him now. Because they're going to figure out pretty quickly, Jesus didn't come to be the king or the Messiah, or the Savior that they wanted. He came to be the King, the Messiah, the Savior that they needed. Praise God, there's a God who can see beyond our wants into what we need. Amen. Because I'm just going to let you know, if Jesus just come to fix my bank account, I don't really need Jesus. 
If Jesus just come to get me the promotion or to fix my household or to make me a happy person or to cure my whatever problems I have, I don't really need Jesus because we got doctors and bankers and stuff like that. We can figure it out through Dave Ramsey, praise God. Like we can, we can get there. But you know, the thing we can't do is we cannot save ourselves eternally. We can save ourselves temporarily, but we cannot save ourselves eternally because the Bible is clear on this thing in Ephesians 2. It says, We were, those of us that know Jesus, dead in our trespasses and our sins. We, those of us who don't know Jesus, are still dead, and those of us that do know Jesus used to be dead. Not physically, maybe. But spiritually, we were separated from God, and there was no way in the world we could get ourselves into a position where we could get ourselves into heaven. This is that we were dead and we earned it. It wasn't God being angry and hateful with us. It was us rebelling against God and by nature leaving God, running away from God, and God letting us have what we want. It says that we were not only dead, but we were under the power of the enemy. That's Satan, by the way. And we were headed towards the wrath of God. We were going to leave this place, and we weren't going to leave this place and go into like purgatory or nothingness. You can believe that if you want, but you're going to find out one day nothingness is not an option. doesn't matter what you believe. You're going to go one of two places. You're going to go be with God, or you're going to be separated from God. It doesn't matter what the thermostat says on either place. We were going to be separated from God. And part of that, the wrath of God, is, is heat, right? And part of that is we're going to be punished. But I'm just going to let you know the greatest punishment is we're going to see God with our very own eyes before we're sent to that place. And we're going to realize what we missed out on. There's a God who infinitely loves us so much that he gave his son to die for us. And we're going to see that. And we're going to feel that. And then we're never going to feel it again. And we're going to long for that the rest of our existence, which is forever. And that was the state every person that ever breathed was headed towards. And there was not one thing we could do about it. You couldn't get good enough. You couldn't be good enough. You couldn't do enough good deeds. You couldn't do enough good works to get there. You couldn't, you couldn't rearrange your life in a way or change your behaviors in such a way that, that you, could, you could work your way out of sin because sin is a heavy thing and one is enough to sink you. But it says in that same chapter, but God... That's where we're headed, but God, who is what? Rich in mercy or forgiveness on those that he could punish. Our God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive. How? Through Christ and Jesus and his death on the cross. Jesus didn't come to save us from temporary things. He came to separate us from sin and to lift us up out of that pit and to set us toward eternity with him. He came to save us not one time momentarily, but one time eternally, forever on the cross. And they were crying, save me, save me, save me, save me. And he did. They just didn't know what they were asking for. And see, I feel like maybe today there's this thing, there's this truth that maybe some of us, we, we have that same issue. That maybe some of us are in that same place where, where, where we, we come to church and we do the religion thing. But what we think is, if we're good, God owes us this. Right? I sang the songs, God. Why am I not getting the promotion? 
I came to church, God. Why, why are you not working out my bank account? I put money in. You're supposed to put money back. That's how we worked it out, right? Like if you give, then God gives. And that's true. What's it say? It says in the Bible, put in the full 10% and God will open up the storehouses of heaven and pour out a blessing on you, which you, you can't even comprehend. It says that. But $10 doesn't equal $20. $10 equals a blessing. And maybe the blessing is the presence of the Lord. So what happens is we, we come to church and we do the things, we say the prayer, and then somewhere along the line, life gets bumpy and we burn out. Or we don't get that thing that we thought we were going to get and we, we burn out. Or we, we don't have this situation fall into place and we thought, God, if we just praised enough that, that we, would, we would get there. There's churches that teach that. It's called the prosperity gospel and it's not really the gospel at all. See, the prosperity of the gospel is when I wasn't worth anything, God gave everything for me. And we, we get in these places where we, we don't see what we think God should be doing and we burn out and we walk away. And maybe the question is like, well, what kind of savior did we think we got in that transaction? Maybe we were looking for the wrong thing. Maybe we were looking for a political Messiah who would usher in this moment of awesome America. Or maybe we were looking for this economic Messiah who would come in and drop in the money in our bank account. Or maybe we were looking for this happiness Messiah who would come in and pull us up out of our pit and depression and set us on the solid ground. And he can do all those things. But I just want to say first and foremost, what we got when we said save us now was the Savior who saw us in the pit of our sin. Can I just be honest with you? I'm, I'm worthless. There's nothing good in me. Anything good that you see in me is either A, a mask, or B, Jesus working in me. And I may fool you and you may fool me, but I can't fool a God who sees my heart. People around me may never know what I think or what I say or how I act. They may, they may never get a glimpse of that, but I answer not to you, but to him. And God seeing the depth of my sin, how it runs deep in the roots of my heart. He still descended that hill, riding into Jerusalem on a baby donkey for me. saying, I know you wanted me to get the bank account. We can talk about that. I didn't leave heaven to come for your bank account. I left heaven to come for you and every bit of you. I came for your heart, and that's what I want. I didn't step down out of my glory to come and get your boss off your back. I may do that at some point in time because I'm full of grace. But, man, that would have not propelled me out of that chair because that's not a big enough problem. You quit your job and get a different job. If I'm going to die, I'm dying for something valuable. And the only thing valuable I see here is your heart. And I want every bit of it. That's what God's speaking over every one of us today. Oh, I'm coming. Those of you that don't know him, oh, I'm coming. 
Oh, I left heaven to come and I'm gonna be in your business as long as you stay around. I'm gonna poke and prod at you until the day you die because I want you to know I can't stop until there's no chance because I want you. I left heaven because I want you. There's no like running from me that's gonna get me from you. I'm coming for you. And for those of us that know him, maybe we're not still crying out today, save us. Maybe we already got that. Man, doesn't Hosanna mean two things? I think we've said several times this morning, I sing because I've seen it. Worship is not something we do when the song hits us in the right way. It's something when we see, when we happens when we see that Savior. He rode down that hill to step into our heart.